0: At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples uh, were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what Daniel did, or what David did when he was hungry? And those who are with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us all here together on this Lord's Day. And that every week you have set aside a day for us to come into your presence For you to encourage us, to speak to us, to assure us of your grace and your promises and to challenge us. But also just to restore us and give us rest from the toils of this life. And we pray as we study your word now that you would instruct us on how to keep Sabbath. How to enjoy this day. How to honor you in keeping the Lord's day. um, we just thank you uh, for our church and for our life together and um, ask for your Holy Spirit now to guide us into all truth as we study your word. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So uh, today we're looking at two episodes in the ministry of Jesus uh, that were uh, like a number of episodes where Jesus had a fair amount of controversy surrounding the, the topic of the observance of the, uh, the Sabbath day. And um, in these verses, uh, we learn actually a number of fascinating nuances about uh, G- the principles that Jesus understood for how do we keep Sabbath, how do we keep the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day set apart, that um, we're devoted to the Lord for worship and for fellowship and for, um, and for rest. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, most formative uh, times in uh, the life of my family uh, of in my marriage uh, was r- right when my wife and I, sh- my wife Shannon and I got married, uh, we went to a little church out in the county that many of you have probably seen called Wiser Lake Chapel out on, uh, out on the guide right south of, of Wiser Lake. And uh, one of the things that was probably the, the things that, that caused that community to be uh, such a formative time for us, we spent three years, the first three years of our marriage in this church. Was uh, the first, it actually was the first Sunday we went there. We uh, came to this little church. It was one of those churches. We were from Bellevue, and this was churches out in the county. And we, we thought, you know, does anyone actually go to these little churches that are out in the county? And who goes there? And so we decided to go there. We had heard that it was a good church. And our first Sunday there, this family invited us over for dinner which was actually, that's a meal you have right after church, lunch, but they call it dinner or supper or something. And uh, we go over and we had dinner with this family. It was a family that normally we would never have spent any time with. We were college students, newly married, And we go to this guy's house, and it was a log cabin out in the county somewhere. We sat around a table and sang hymns out of a hymnal and then ate a sheep that had been caught in the barbed wire fence the week before, and they were cooking up for us. And this was a new, completely alien experience for us. And and yet we left that person's house. We'd we'd spent the day worshiping together, eating together, singing together, fellowship. And we left and we said, we found our church. And that was actually, it was a life-changing experience. Just this family inviting us into their Lord's Day Sabbath celebration. And it actually became just a part of the culture of our family. It was very formative. It was the beginning of our family. We were newly married. That keeping Sabbath became integral to the, just the health of, of, and our Christian maturity, our growth and discipleship in the Lord. And um, so what I want to do today is uh, just take a little time to meditate on some of the principles that uh, Jesus teaches us from this passage about the Sabbath and about the Lord's Day and how to keep it and what his priorities are. And and what we see in this passage is that Jesus doesn't give us a list of do's and don'ts for the Sabbath day, but a number of principles to make, when you set apart a day every week as your Sabbath, it is just life-giving for you and it is integral to your spiritual growth your growth in Christ and for Christ being formed in you and your spiritual life and your identity in Christ. It is integral to it. And so what I want to do is just highlight um, five principles uh, in particular from this passage. And I think that uh, what we'll see from these principles is that um, for those of us who don't really, you know, if, if, if the Sabbath is not really a part of the culture of your life or your family, I think you'll find that Jesus challenges you that it really should be. And for those of you also who, you know, are uh, maybe very thoughtful about the Sabbath, and uh, maybe you've detailed out how the Sabbath should look, I think Jesus is also going to have challenges for you as well. I think there's challenges for all of us as we look at these five principles that he has for us. But um, I'm just going to list them as we go along. And so five principles on keeping the Sabbath. And the first is this, that we see in this passage, you know, maybe the most important, is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. First thing is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and this is maybe the most astounding statement in these verses, verse 8, how he says, uh, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the reason that this is an astounding statement for Jesus to say, to talk about himself and to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, is because the Sabbath was first commanded, uh, instituted by God in the Ten Commandments, directly by God. It was God who commanded that we should keep the Sabbath. And uh, actually in in Exodus 31, in a great uh, half chapter that talks about the Sabbath, God calls the Sabbath my Sabbath. This is my Sabbath. So when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he's actually identifying himself and saying, I am the God of the Old Testament who gave you the Sabbath. So I have a right to tell you how to keep it and what's the right way to keep it. So don't challenge me on the Sabbath. If anything, I'm going to be challenging you. I'm going to be telling you how to keep the Sabbath uh, to these Pharisees. Now, um, one of the reasons why this tells us a lot about Jesus is because for some of us, we may think that uh, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the Lord's Day holy, is a burden. It's, you know, this day full of duties. But actually, um, when you go back and you look at where when God first instituted the Sabbath, the purpose of it was, uh, in the Ten Commandments, uh, Israel had just come out of Egypt. They had been slaves... In Egypt and God had liberated this whole nation of slaves and uh, made they were in the desert and he was now gonna make them his people and so he gave them these Ten Commandments of how how they were gonna live in the land that he was gonna give to them and one of them was the Sabbath and the reason he said you must keep the Sabbath you must have a day of rest a day where you don't work is because when you were in Egypt you were slaves you worked seven days and uh, you were treated like slaves. And now, your new identity, you're not slaves anymore. You're not my slaves. I did not save you in order to make you my slaves. You're my children. And in order to show you that you're my children, I want you to have a day off where you're not going to work. And the reason for that is because I don't need you to, because God's saying to them, I don't need you to work for me. I have everything I need. I don't need you to be my slaves. You're my children. I work for you. I provide for you. I give to you. And I want to prove that to you by you having a day where you don't work, you just rest and you be with me and be with your people. The Sabbath was God's means for imprinting in them their new identity. The reason God gave them the Sabbath was this is how I'm going to imprint into your, I'm going to press into your life. This is your identity. This is who you are. And uh, this is what it says, Exodus 31, that I was just mentioning. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you and uh, throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Which means I set you apart. You're my special people. You're my children. The way that you're going to learn that you're a child of God is by having this day in which God is forming that in you. And so that's why he's given it to us, is so that we could learn that we're not slaves. And for us, is that we're not slaves to sin any longer. We are children of God. And how do we learn that? We learn that through Sabbath. He's given us a day to learn it. And, and, uh, you know, that's actually, you know, I should make a point here. That's why for Jesus in this passage, the Sabbath was a day of human dignity. So actually, the, the, the creation of the Sabbath was really a way for God to, to show how valuable human beings are. Human beings are not just slave labor. They're not just for working and working and producing, but they are for also for enjoying their work, for resting and enjoying God. Humans have more purpose than being slaves, and that's why Jesus says in verse 12, part of his argument uh, when he heals the man, is he says, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? The Sabbath is God saying people are valuable. People are have dignity, and so for us to learn our dignity, for us to learn our value, the Sabbath is one of the ways that we learn that. Okay. And um, and so for us to learn who we are, we need the regularity and repetition of the Sabbath. And, you know, there are many things in our lives that when we do them regularly, they begin to define who we are. They become, you know, habitual. They become uh, 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 natural for us. You know, uh, one of the things, you know, I maybe shared this with you when I was a a child. My dad had a saying that he would always say to me and my siblings where he would say to us, how much dad love him. And I would repeat back, so much in lots and lots, right? That's my little saying as I was a kid. It's something I say to my kids. I probably I probably say it 30 times in a day. How much do I love them? So much in lots and lots. How much do I love them? So much in lots and lots. And it's this thing of repetition. It's this ritual that we go through and we say over and over. And you might say, you know, does that, does that have any meaning when you say it 30 times a day? And you might say that about the Sabbath. Does it have any meaning when we do it every week? We go through these same motions. Every week you come and you sing and we listen to a sermon, we meet together. Does that have any power? And the answer, yes, of course it does. Hearing that over and over again, that's what we need to hear, is over and over again who we are. And, you know, one of the things is, even though my dad would say that to me, not every, you know, or when I say that to my kids, not every time I say that to them do they say, oh, my dad loves me, yes. You know, and they just savor it and it hits them. No, they say, so much and lots and lots, back to what I'm doing. You know, there's your answer. And then sometimes, you know, maybe I'm tucking him into bed, how much did I love him? You know, looking them in the eyes, so much and lots and lots. Sometimes it's powerful, sometimes it feels rote. That's how the Sabbath is. You do it week in and week out. Sometimes it's just we're going to church, we're doing it again. This is what we do, this is what our family does. Sometimes you come to church and you say, God was speaking to me. God was assuring me that I'm one of his children. And it's just, it's a mixture. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's deep, and deep savor, and sometimes it just feels like a ritual. But as we go through it's important. God says, you need this. If you're going to know who you are. And I know for some of you, learning that, who you are in Christ, that you are a loved child of God, is very hard. It's very hard for you. Uh, you have. You say to yourself, you know, I have such bad thoughts about myself all the time. I feel like God is disappointed in me. I feel like a failure. I feel like I, I I live a life. Um. I feel like I live my life enslaved to what other people think or to the sins of my life. How do I unlearn all these ideas about who I am? God says I've given you the Sabbath is the way to unlearn it. This is, and what's going to happen is slowly over time, every time you, we spend a day with the Lord, we come to worship, we meet with God's people, we eat together, we rest, God is shaping us more and more. And, you know, he's, he's you know, like he's a chisel and he's breaking off the rough edges and he's forming Christ in us. And so this is why God's given us to us. He's a gift to form Christ in us and to teach us. And, um, and Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he has given it to us for that purpose because he wants us to know who we are. Okay? So, first point, first principle is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. But one of the things that means, the first implication of that is, second, that Jesus is then able to make exemptions to the Old Testament law. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath Jesus has the authority to make exemptions to the Old Testament law so the, the, uh, the Sabbath was wrapped up in all kinds of ceremonial law from the Old Testament and it's going to transform as Christ is com- as Christ comes and so he has the authority to make these exemptions we have to think through those exemptions. look at what it, look at what it says uh, verse one. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, what they're talking about there is that in the Old Testament, uh, there was a law that said, You know, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and one form of work would be reaping in the field, reaping your grain. And over the centuries before uh, the coming of Christ, uh, the Pharisaic tradition had developed a whole mass of oral traditions and extrapolations of the Old Testament law to say, "Okay, well, what exactly counts as reaping? One thing that counted as reaping, they said in this uh, mass of oral tradition that later became the Mishnah, was uh, that grazing, even grazing, even walking through the field and picking heads of grain is considered reaping and considered work, considered work." Now, Jesus actually has a problem with that. He says if you add on to what the Old Testament law says and you pile on this oral tradition, you will turn the Sabbath into a huge burden. It won't be a delight. It won't be rest. It won't be forming your identity. It will be more slavery. It will be like Egypt if you do that. But actually, one of the things that's happening in this text is there's a big question. When can there be an exemption to the Old, uh, Old Testament law? When, when can that happen? When can you say that this Old Testament law doesn't apply? And Jesus uh, gives three examples from the Old Testament to answer that question. And we've got to look at them briefly together. Look, look at verse 3 with me. Follow with me on these. Verse 3, this is Jesus' response. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, or for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now what he's talking about is a story from 1 Samuel 21, where uh, in 1 Samuel, the kingdom was being transferred from Saul, who was the king in Israel, uh, to David. And he's on this holy mission with uh, with his men that are you know his soldiers that are with him and they need food and so there's this exception to the old testament law that they can eat the bread that was inside the tabernacle which normally they weren't allowed to do and what jesus says the reason they were allowed to do it is because david was the anointed king so essentially to say if you're with david and you're on a holy mission and the kingdom is being transferred there are Exceptions to the Old Testament law, and Jesus now saying, "My disciples are my men; they're with me, and the kingdom is now. Uh, I'm bringing the kingdom, and I'm the king. I'm the new David. I'm the greater David. And so, if you're with me, there is an there is an exception to the Old Testament law. So it is in Christ that there is an exception. Okay. And then he goes. Uh, and then he goes on uh, in verse five. Or have you read in the law how this uh, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple uh, the in the uh, Have you read in the Old Testament how on the Sabbath... Oh, sorry, gosh. Have you read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And what he's talking about here is no one was supposed to work on the Sabbath. But the priests, the pastors, right? They had to work. I have to work on the Sabbath, right? And, and he said, listen. He said no one's allowed to work, but there was an exception if you were in the temple. So if you're with David the king... Or if you're a priest in the temple, there's an exception, right? And then he goes on again, and he quotes uh, the prophet Hosea, verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, this is from Hosea six six. you would not have condemned the guiltless. Here again, God prefers that his people be merciful more than meticulous in their observance of rich, religious ritual. There is an exception to the law when you are being merciful. Love is the weightier matter of the law. And so, um, again, the prophets find reason to make an exception to the law. And so here we have uh, Jesus comparing himself to the th- three great offices of the Old Testament the king, David, the priests in the temple. And the prophets, Hosea. And he says, I'm the, I'm the greater king, I'm the greater priest, I'm the greater prophet. And so I have the authority to make exe- exceptions uh, to the Old Testament law. This, okay, this, I know this a lot. This is, uh, this is an important part, though, of understanding uh, the transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And some of you might ask, how does that work? How can God's law change? How can God say that there are these things that you have to do and then all of a sudden he's, I'm going to change his mind and now they don't apply? How can we just throw things out like that? How can certain laws become obsolete all of a sudden? Well, let me give an illustration to try to illustrate. How did the Old Testament laws relate to Jesus? The Old Testament ceremonial laws, I should say. Uh, when my wife Shannon and I were... Uh, First dating, we, we started dating when we were 18, right before she went to college, and she went uh, to Washington State in Pullman, and we actually started dating just three days before she went uh, to Pullman, and then I came up to Western. We were six hours apart for our first year together, and uh, so during that year, actually that it was email was just starting. I got an email account so that I could email Shannon. That's why I got my email account, and uh, and so and we had phone you know, phone cards that you had to pay for to call one another. And so, you know, we couldn't talk on the phone very much, and so there was lots of emails and lots of letters that we were sending back and forth. And when we were first falling in love, obviously when these letters came, as you can imagine, I'm sitting in my dorm room at Western, studying them, reading them. What does she mean there? What's what's behind that word? What is she trying to say? I'm trying to read into everything that she's saying, and I treasured these letters. They were like gold. I had a little shoebox, and I kept them in. I'd go through, and what did she say three months ago? All these things. And then, at the end of that year, we find out that she was leaving Wazoo, and she was coming to Western. And uh, we were going to be together. We wouldn't have to write letters and, and uh, talk on the phone anymore. I had her. I had the real person. Now let me ask you, what do you think happened to those letters that I was studying so diligently for that year? You know, they're under my bed in a box. I don't read them anymore. Why? The letters were pointing me to her. Now I have the real thing. I have the real person. And the ceremonial laws were like those letters. They were pointing us to who Christ was preparing us for now when Christ comes, those letters, those signs, those, those laws, those ceremonies become obsolete. We have the real thing. And so there's a continuity beto- between them. Um, but many of those ceremonial laws have uh, become obsolete because Christ is here. But what that means for the Sabbath is that the Sabbath itself is still here because the Sabbath was not just a ceremonial law. It's part of the Ten Commandments. None of the other Ten Commandments we do away with. And uh, the Sabbath was actually a part of the the creation uh, when God made the creation. uh, The creation was in, uh, Genesis 1 says, in seven days, on the seventh day, God rested. So it's a part of being human. But, All the ceremonial parts that are wrapped up in it are transformed because Christ has come. Okay. And so, what does that mean for us? Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, who now has uh, is able to make exemptions to the law, and so now He establishes principles for us for how to keep the Sabbath. And I want to highlight what some of those principles are, and I'll I'll try uh, these. These I'm going to try to run through. uh, I got three of them, okay? So, these are my last three points. So, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is able to make exemptions, exemptions to the law. But third, therefore, Jesus, as he is establishing as the Lord of the Sabbath, how we should keep it, he says Jesus, Jesus is opposed to religiosity on the Sabbath. Jesus is opposed to a religiosity on the Sabbath. And you see this in these powerful words. Look at verse 7. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And what Jesus warns us is he says that when we say, God says, keep the Sabbath day holy, there is a temptation for us to add on uh, to the Sabbath a kind of religiosity that makes us condemn the guiltless. It makes people feel burdened and enslaved, and, and so that the Sabbath no longer becomes a blessing to us, but it is now a curse. It becomes a curse to us. And um, which means to us that if the Sabbath is not something that we look for, if it, look forward to, it, if it is not a highlight of our week, then there's something wrong with how we're viewing it and how we're doing it. If it's not the thing that we look forward to and say, you know, I can get through this week, I've got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of stress, a lot of things on my shoulder. But I know that my Sabbath is coming. And that will be the day where I'll feel free. I'll feel unburdened. I'll feel uh, God's refreshment and restoration. If we don't see the Sabbath that way, then there's something wrong with how we're viewing the Sabbath. Now, that could be because we don't keep the Sabbath. We fill our Sabbath up with other things. Or it could be that we have too much religious duty that we have piled onto the Sabbath that has turned it back into slavery. And we're not being communicated that we're uh, children of God. Jesus was opposed to religiosity on the Sabbath. And actually, there's kind of a famous story. I'm actually, I don't think anyone knows whether this is true, but uh, there's kind of a famous folk story about uh, John Knox. John Knox was uh, the the leader of the Reformation in Scotland. And uh, he had come to... Uh, Geneva in Switzerland to visit John Calvin, where he studied in Geneva, and there's a story that that says that he came to John Calvin's house, uh, and John Calvin was a theologian that was kind of the most devoted to Sabbath keeping, and so uh, John Knox came uh, to Calvin's house, and he found uh, John Calvin lawn bowling on the Sabbath, and he was just kind of shocked to find You're the Mr. Sabbath theologian, and here you are lawn bowling on the Sabbath and enjoying his day, enjoying recreation. And apparently, according to to Calvin, that was a, a part of his devotion to God, a part of his rest in God, was enjoying everything that God had given to him and delighting in the day. And so one of the things we have to guard against, Jesus says, is condemning the guiltless and not adding a religiosity to the Sabbath day. But... You know, I, I think it's debatable whether in our culture that's a problem that we're going to be too religious about the Sabbath. I think, if anything, you know, especially in a place like Bellingham, the bigger question is, are we going to even keep it at all? Not are we going to pile on? You know, I don't. I've never met anyone like the Pharisees who said, "You picked a head of grain on the Sabbath." You know, that's unlawful. I've never met anyone like that. So, uh, so maybe the bigger question is not so much guarding against. Religiosity, but what is Jesus saying then that we should do on the Sabbath? Does He give us any instruction for the Sabbath? And one thing, at the very least, this is a fourth point: is I do think that Jesus expects us to go to church on the Sabbath. <laughs> I think that's actually in this passage uh, that you know, even though Jesus had all kinds of controversies uh, surrounding Him about the Sabbath, Jesus was happy to challenge all kinds of cultural norms. Nonetheless, every Saturday, Jesus was in church. <laughs> he was. Actually, Luke actually says that, that it was his custom of every Sabbath to go to the synagogue. And you see that there in verse 9. It's the Sabbath day, and what's Jesus doing? He went on from there and entered the synagogue. And synagogue comes from the Greek word for to come together. And uh, in, in Leviticus 23, this is what it says, six days work shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest And then it says this, a holy convocation. A holy convocation. And and God's intention for us when he gives us a day of rest that at least part of that day we come together as God's people, worship him, meet with him, learn from him, sing to him, and uh, praise God and uh, come to his table. And um, I think that's an important point is that if we think that because Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial part of the Old Testament law, he's done away with everything. That is not true. He's called us to come together, and he knows that we need that. That was a part of his practice. He needed that in his life, to meet together with God's people every week. And, um, and so, what this passage tells us, is, even though Jesus says to, re- to guard against a kind of religiosity... He doesn't say just do whatever you want on that day. He gives us he doesn't pile us with duties, but he gives us a few instructions. He says meet with God's people, praise God, hear from God's word, and then and then what do you do the rest of the day? Be with God's people, share a meal together. Invite someone over to your house, rest, take a nap, play a game, be with your children, enjoy life enjoy god's creation delight in him this is what he wants for us and um i'll tell you you know we have many young families in our church if, if you're, your your family is just getting formed you have opportunity to really shape the culture of your week and your whole life around this practice of keeping sabbath and is this something you've thought through what are our convictions about the sabbath and keeping it and what we're gonna do, what we're gonna say no to to keep this open so we're gonna be with God's people. How do I how do we prioritize worshiping with God's people on on the Sabbath? These are things to think through. You know, one of the things uh that we do on our Sabbath, we our Sabbath is from uh 6 p.m. on Saturday night to six PM on Sunday evening. One of the reasons we do that is uh well one reason is that's the way the Jews did that is from uh nightfall to nightfall and uh Um, that's maybe how Jesus practiced keeping Sabbath. But also, you know, there tends to be homework for the week ahead. So uh, we have Saturday night together. We worship together. We spend Sunday afternoon together and uh, get together with some people from church, eat, eat a meal. But it is a day that we look forward to. And as we've made that a, a part of just a practice of our family, it's just uh, been something that's grounded us so much and 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 made us such a part of all the churches that we've been a part of. It's really helped us to integrate us into the life of the churches that we've been a part of. And uh, one of the ways that also um, that we did that, you know, I, I was in graduate school for uh, six years, and I was having children, and uh, it was a busy time, and, you know, we made a practice where I, I would... I mean, this is partly my situation that I could do this, but I, would, I didn't study, I didn't do any work on uh, the Sabbath, even when I was a, a, you know, a graduate assistant, a lecturer at, at Western, at UW, and we just said, even if I got a test coming Monday morning, I'm not going to study. If I get a C, so what? I'm going to keep Sabbath. And I'll just tell you, God honors that. When you set that apart, and you say, I don't care what the consequences are, I'm going to trust God, he honors that. If you have a business and you say, I'm going to keep my business closed on Sundays, God will honor that. And he promises that. And actually, if you look back in the Old Testament, uh, when Israel had just come out of Egypt and they, they weren't slaves anymore, and God says, you're going to have a day off. You're not slaves, you're my children. He had given them this manna that uh, was sprinkled all over the wilderness that was the food that they ate. It was this bread from heaven. And he said, all right, six days you're going to gather up manna. On the sixth day, I want you to gather up double, and I don't want you to gather up bread on the seventh day, I want you to just trust me that I'm going to provide for you. And he always did. And I'll, I tell you, if you do that in your life, you give a day to God and say, I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide for me. I don't need to work. I don't need to make more money on this day. He, will, he promises to take care of you. He will. And you will see his faithfulness. Okay, now I know that that, of course, raises questions for some of you who say, well, you know, I have a job. I have to work on Sundays. It's not my choice. I don't want to work on Sundays. And what do I do about that? Well, I, I think, you know, if you're, if you're a dad and you're working for your family and caring for them, God honors that. He knows your situation. And that's a good thing to provide for your family. So it may be that, that that's part of your, you know, that, that's your lot for now. Then what you say is the weeks that I'm not working, I'm going to make sure I'm at church. I'm gonna even I'm gonna think about what I'm scheduling vacations and other things because if I gotta miss a lot of Sundays, I wanna the Sundays that I'm available. I wanna be with my people because I, I be with God's people because I know this is so formative for my own life and for my family's life. But it may be that you know if you have to work every Sunday, you may decide you know I need to find maybe there is another job I can find. I look for another job and have that be a part of your your thought process for your vocation is say, what is going to leave open the Lord's Day so that I can meet with God's people because I know that this is how God is going to shape me and shape my family. So the, the Sabbath has to integrate into our decision making and the whole culture of our family because this is what God's given us to teach us who we are as his children. Okay? So those are just um, a number of thoughts. You know, let me just say one other comment. I, I know a, a couple of guys in our church are firefighters and miss a number of uh, Sunday's, because they're working. And, you know, they just make it their habit to make sure they download sermons. They're listening to sermons. They're listening to what we're listening to. They listen, you know, there are sermons from our church, but other sermons from other churches as well to keep that, to try to keep connected. So try to find ways to stay connected to what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, okay? So, um, Jesus says that church is, a, is an integral part. So he, he doesn't pile on religious duties, but he does say worshiping together is a part of his practice and a part of our practice. Last point, okay? So we have Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is able then to make exemptions to Old Testament law. And he is against a religiosity, but he does say that we should be in church together. We should be worshiping. That should be a part of our Sabbath practice. But this is the last thing. In the Sabbath, Jesus is giving us a taste of eternal life. What the Sabbath is about is about having a taste of the eternal life that we are looking forward to. And uh, Jesus uses the Sabbath as an opportunity to show his healing power. Look at verse 10. And a man uh, was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you uh, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. And for Jesus, what he sees happening on the Sabbath is the restoration of human life is what his vision is about on the Sabbath. And, um, you know, all of Jesus' miracles, when he heals people, you know, we sometimes wonder, why didn't Jesus just heal everyone? Why didn't he just come? If he's got the power, why doesn't he just, everyone who's got problems, he could heal them all. He just seemed to heal these select people. And the reason is because his healings were pointing beyond themselves to something else. They were pointing beyond just that. Because this guy, he had a withered hand. His hand, he eventually died. He wasn't being healed forever. This was just a picture of the Jesus' resurrection. That when Jesus came, he died on the cross. And the third day, his body was restored to life. And he was uh, raised to an indestructible, beautiful, radiant life. And what the Bible says is that what God did for Jesus when he raised his body from the dead, he's going to do for us as well and that he is going to renew the whole creation. Everything that God has made, he is going to renew, and we are going to live in our bodies in the presence of God in a renewed creation. There is this physicality to it. And what Jesus sees the Sabbath as, the Sabbath is us practicing eternal life. What is that future world going to be like? We're going to be together, we're going to love each other, we're going to be free from sin, we're going to be in God's presence, we're going to be feasting and eating and playing and enjoying God's creation. And God says, listen, I know your life's not like that now. I know that you're working hard, you're toiling, you have stresses, you have all these things in your life. I want you to take one day, and on that one day, I want you to basically pretend the new world is here. Eat together, enjoy my creation, enjoy me, be together. This is exactly what Hebrews chapter 4 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his The writer of Hebrews says that the Sabbath is a foretaste of what this future world, the rest that we're going to have, freed from all of our labors in God's presence in heaven, in the new creation. And so what we're doing on the Sabbath is we're practicing eternal life, the gift that God has given to us. And so let me just encourage you. The Sabbath is not something we have to do. It is a gift. It's something we get to do feel free to say, God has given me this day to just enjoy him, to enjoy his people, and to enjoy his creation. And I guarantee you, he will use that to form in you this new identity that you are a child of God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Sabbath, and we pray that in our church you would uh, uh, teach us to create a culture of Sabbath-keeping. Help us to open our homes to one another on the Sabbath and uh, to eat and to enjoy. Help us as we come to church to feel refreshed and restored and to know that this is a gift from your hands and that as uh, we worship you on the Lord's Day, week 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 in and week out, would you teach us again and again that you indeed do love us, that we are your children, that we are not slaves, And teach us uh, to look forward to that Sabbath rest that we are waiting for in the future. Um, That great hope we have in the resurrection of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.